Since the very first bedtime, all around the world, children have known that once their mothers and fathers tucked them in and shut off the light, that there are monsters hiding in their closets, waiting to emerge. But what they don't know is, it's nothing personal. It's just their job. Whoa! Ah! Nobody here. Huh? There's, there's no kid. There's supposed All to be a kid. Right, there's no kid to scare. I'm panicking because well, there's no, a total no, no, lack no, of kid here. Let's just check the schedule. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. Well, let me see. Nine o'clock. Yep, nine o'clock. Boys' bedroom. Boys' bedroom. Out of Magnolia. <sighs> Magnolia. Give me that. It's Mongolia, Mike. Does this look like Mongolia to you? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, of. okay, you remember the fifth grade yeah. when you spent all your time passing notes to Susie Boyles? Loved it. The rest of us were studying geography. This is not Mongolia. Uh, would, would you listen to this? Blame it on the little guy. How original. He must have read the schedule wrong with his one eye. Oh my, come on, uh, don't take it personal. You were thinking come on, that. Don't you were be thinking so that. sensitive. Yeah. Come on, buddy. Little Blinky. Don't, Who's don't your buddy? do that. Who's your I'm daddy? resisting you. Come on. Don't make me come like on. you. Don't, I don't want to like on, you now. All right. <laughs> hey, guess what? planet I am. Huh? Come on, look. Uh, Guess which planet I am. Okay, I'm gonna go back to the break room before all the donuts are gone. Hey, th don't you even get it? You big throw rug? Oh. Nice doggy. <laughs> nice big doggy. Sully! Sully, open the door! Open the door! This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there once again, people of the IPC, the Intergalactic Peace Coalition. We are back. We're back with another episode of the IPC, as you know, and uh, we've got some we got some pretty awesome things to break down tonight. We got a little bit of news, some some good stuff that's just come out, and then we've got another Pixar film. Yes, we're continuing our Pixar. Yes, it's a mouthful. We're gonna keep saying it, and uh, it's gonna be a lot, a lot of fun. But before we jump into it, let's let's do the introduction thing because you know sometimes. You just don't know what's going on, whatever, and you don't know who we are. And we want you to know who we are because we are important. No, just kidding, just kidding. We're, we're nobodies, we're nobodies. But before we get into it, my name is Ben, and joining me, as always, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited to have everybody join us tonight because this is going to be another really fun discussion uh, it's it's another piece of our childhood. It's another piece of nostalgia, and we get to enjoy it now as adults, as movie reviewers, and as podcasters. And we get to share that joy with everybody that chose to tune in with us. So, welcome to you, and thank you for tuning in. And uh, we're looking forward to what we've got to talk about tonight. It's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. Indeed, indeed. And as you heard off the top, and I'm sure you heard the little 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 teaser trailer off the top of the show. 
we're going to be talking about Monsters, Inc. tonight. And uh, looking forward to it. I think it's been a long time since both of us watched this film. And uh, it's a classic, and it's one that you guys voted for not that long ago on our big top five Pixar film episode. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun jumping into that movie once more in just a few, few minutes. But before we do that, of course, get a little bit of news, as I said, off the top. And uh, the first bit of it is something completely different. None of this, actually. We have a couple of Disney things, actually. We'll get to those in a second. But the first one is a complete left turn. But it's something we felt the need to mention because it's a pretty big bit of news that just came out today as of recording this. Um, Ethan Peck, who you may or may not have heard of, he is the grandson of the legendary Gregory Peck, that's big shoes to fill. You know, how'd you like for your grandfather to be Gregory Peck? Jeez, that's that's not a lot to live up to. But he's he's on the way to actually living up to that because he was just cast as Spock, Mister Spock in Star Trek. He's going to be appearing in Star Trek Discovery season two. Now, I for one am not caught up on Discovery just yet. I've just seen the first few episodes of season one, so I really. I need to get back into it, and stuff like this really makes me want to get back into it. But, uh, Zach, I think you've seen more of the show than I have. What What do you think of this? I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm really intrigued. As a Star Trek fan, Mr. Spock is the one character that has stood through the test of time, through the test of different TV series. Uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy played him in the original series, and then he made a cameo in a couple of episodes of The Next Generation then when they went to the parallel universe, he was on the bridge there as well. He was on the bridge of the pilot. The very first episode, Mr. Spock was there, and now he's making a return to the small screen. Uh, I'm excited to see his character make a return. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with him. Uh, according to Hollywood Reporter, it says that Spock is still the chief science officer under Captain Christopher Pike, who is going to be played by Anson Mount. Another awesome casting choice, in my opinion. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, my, that dude's perfect. Anson Mount is, like, he's... <laughs> so he was in the TV series Hell on Wheels, where he literally played a cowboy. And now he's basically going to be, like, a space cowboy. And I think it's fantastic casting. I think it's great. Um, in the Season 2 trailer... Uh, it says that uh, Spock is off on his own journey. Pike says that he took leave in some sort of a voiceover. Said It's as if he'd run into a question he couldn't answer. So he's not going to be directly on the, the Starship Discovery, it seems like. It seems like he's going to have other tie-ins and other connections. Things that may tie into the overall scheme the overall story of what they're trying to tell on discovery not the day-to-day stuff but some of the more overarching storylines because obviously Sonequa martin green's character of michael burnham being the half sister of spock that's going to be a very big play that was a very big play in season one they're trying to expand on it in season two and i'm just happy that they announced somebody you know, I, I'm just happy that Spock has been announced in general, but to have Ethan Peck announced as Mr. Spock, I mean, Alex Kurtzman, the, the showrunner, had high, high praise. He said, we searched for months for an actor who would, like 
Spock's predecessors, like his previous actors, bring his own interpretation to the role. An actor who would effortlessly embody Spock's greatest qualities beyond obvious logic, such as empathy, intuition, compassion, confusion, and yearning. And he says, Ethan Peck walked into the room inhabiting all of these qualities, aware of his daunting responsibility to Leonard, Zack, and the fans, and ready to confront the challenge in the service of protecting and expanding on Spock's legacy. Like, holy crap, man. That is some high, high praise for Ethan Peck. Uh, I'm probably still more excited to see what Anson Mount does as Captain Pike in Season 2, but I'm really intrigued to see what Peck is going to bring to the table as Spock in this series. Uh, I'll be honest, Discovery wasn't my favorite TV series. It took a lot of getting used to, but I'm glad that it's got a second season because... Now it's got a, a even better opportunity to find its identity, gain its footing, and move the storyline even further forward. So I'm I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I totally. And in all you saying all that, I'm like, oh yeah, I really need to watch this show again because like I've heard some conflicting rumors. I think you know, obviously you know, going into Discovery, there was a lot of shakeups and. You know, coming out of season one, I think, you know, some people love it, some people hate it, but, you know, I think, you know, it's got to be a big nostalgia trip to be not just one, but two big characters from the original series showing up here and how many connections it's going to have. And maybe even kind of starting to answer some of the questions of why they decided to make this a prequel series instead of just setting it far flung in the future after Next Generation, like what can they do in this thing? And they're kind of showing that now that, you know, you can have, there's more stories to tell with characters like Pike and Spock and people, people love those characters. Like, you know, and when you have like what seems to be really good casting, that's just more exciting. Well, I mean, it's also the showrunner's job to hype up the actors. (laughs) And so they can have all the high praise that they want, but it's up to the actor to deliver on that hype. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, I mean, the, 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 I'm, I'm not saying I'm putting any pressure on Ethan Peck per se, but. Oh, oh yeah, no pressure at all, Ethan. I mean, you're only embodying <laughs> the most important character in all of Star Trek lore, and you're presenting yourself as like the third different iteration of the character. So, yeah, there's, there's nothing to worry about. At least he is the third one. Like, I mean, Zachary Quinto already proved that. People other than, you know, the legendary Leonard, Leonard Nimoy can do that character, and he did it, you know, flawlessly. So, like, you know, he's not as much pressure, but still, like, you know, doing this series. You know, this is the first time Star Trek's been back on TV where it started, so this is even kind of a bigger deal. So, like, doing this, it's uh, and then having you know Pike and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's it's very exciting. But yeah, he's uh, he's got a lot of work to do and you know looking forward to seeing what he does with the character yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna have to find access to cbs all access (laughs) (laughs) i know what you mean wink 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. less i think we all know what you mean sometimes but that's neither here nor there um something something else that is here though something that came up not too long ago was a uh, official announcement from Disney as to who our new Milan is going to be. 
and it's none other yeah. than Chinese star Liu Yifei going to be playing Hua Mulan in the new movie, the live-action rendition of the movie. And uh, we got our first look at her. She's got a, uh, she's got a, I think it's a katana in her hand. I'm not, yes. I'm not fluent in different types of swords. I wish I was, but I believe that's a katana. And yeah, she's she's striking a pose. She's in a red robe. Her hair is flowing. Uh, I will admit, her face looks a little younger than I guess I was expecting, but maybe. That's because in the movie Mulan is supposed to be younger, and yeah, I think she, I've never I've never seen Mulan, but I know she's supposed to be like a pretty young girl. She's she's supposed to be like a teenager, I think. Yeah. So I mean, it's it. I, I feel like it's a solid choice. It's just uh, there's there's going to be a little deviation from the animation, but there's not exactly anything wrong with that, you know. Um, no, it's no. it's it's got a pretty awesome cast too. It's going to include Donnie Yen, who he played he was in uh, Rogue One, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was Chirrut Imwe. He was, he was Chirrut Imwe in Rogue One. You've also got martial arts legend Jet Li. You've got Jason Scott Lee and Uktarsh Amdekar. Amdekar. Yeah, I'm going with that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> if I butchered the name, I apologize. That's what I'm going to roll with. Um, Disney's official statement reads as follows. The eldest daughter of an honored warrior, uh, Hula... Okay, I'm going to start that over because that just was not the way I thought it was going to be. The eldest daughter of an honored warrior, Hua Mulan is spirited, determined, and quick on her feet. When the emperor issues a decree that one man per family must serve in the imperial army... She steps in to take the place of her ailing father as Hua Jun becoming one of China's greatest warriors ever. It's going to be directed by Nikki Caro from a script that was written by Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver. It's going to be filmed in both China and New Zealand, and it is set to release to theaters in March of 2020. Nice. What are what are what are what are your what are your thoughts on on the announcement? What are your thoughts on this first image? What are your hopes for when they put out a teaser trailer? Like what what can Mulan do to up the hype factor even more after dropping this photo? Um, they can do a lot. And I'm sure that trailer is going to be pretty, pretty epic. And I think, I mean, Disney so far has had pretty good track record with their their live action reboots in a way. And I think it serves, and it's not it's not the type of reboots that are like, well, why are they rebooting this? Like, of course, why not? Like, it's live action. Like, they have the technology and the special effects to actually, you know, do this and do this right. And this one actually makes more sense because it's dealing with like real humans yeah, instead of with like trying characters. to bring yeah yeah like most of them have been the jungle book you've had you know you'll have the lion king coming up pretty soon john by john favreau like you know a lot of them and a lot of disease has dealt with you know animals and inanimate objects coming to life like beauty and the beast but like you know now you have like a true like human story and that's gonna be interesting like with real actors it's gonna be less Less CGI, I'm sure. Still a certain amount. Every movie has that. But, like, you know, and Mulan is just... I've heard so much about Mulan. For some reason, 
I just never saw it. I don't know why I always missed that movie, but I did. But I've heard so many people talk greatly, so maybe maybe I'll have to check this one out and maybe even check out the original before, just, just for comparison's sake. But I think people are going to be really pleased with this one. That may be something that we'll need to do on the show sometime, is do like a, a, an art... Duology with the original and the exactly. remake? Exactly. Exactly. We take a Boom. look at the original animated film and then take a look at the the live-action reboot or remake or whatever they want to call it um i mean we could totally do that right now with the two jungle book movies we can totally do that with the two beauty and the beast movies we can totally do that with the two cinderella movies um but here's here's the other thing that that i'm kind of nervous about um you know they've also remade a wrinkle in time and that kind of got split reviews and this fall this winter they're remaking and and doing a live action rendition of the nutcracker and so i i don't yeah when i saw a preview for that one like the other day when i went to go see ant-man and the wasp i saw it and the only thing that intrigued me was morgan freeman yeah morgan freeman yeah carrie notley it's got a good cast helen mirren too like it looks like it's a great cast but it's like the nutcracker and the four realms i'm like i don't remember that part of the story no me neither that's new but whatever at least it's a new take on it i guess i mean i guess but here's the deal is i i can't help but wonder if they're doing too much live action too quickly like you're you're you've already done cinderella you've already done jungle book you've already done beauty and the beast you are doing nutcracker you've already done wrinkle in time that's five movies right there you've already got the lion king in the works you've got dumbo in the works set to come out early next year you've got the lion king set to come out next summer unless it gets pushed back isn't it next summer i think i think they're kicking these out at least once per year if not more if not more yeah and then you've got mulan on the horizon and then there's another live action cgi hybrid that they're working on which is our next topic of the evening and yeah, I don't really yeah. know if I want this to be a live-action CGI hybrid remake. I'll, I'll be completely honest. There are some classics that you just shouldn't try and surpass or replace or anything like that. And to me, one of the untouchables, as much as I love Lion King, I think Lion King's an, an amazing movie and a, and a fantastic example of animation. But... I'm totally interested in seeing what they do with a live-action rendition of this. But this movie that we're about to talk about, I, I consider it one of the untouchables. And that would be 1955's Lady and the Tramp. I just... I, yeah, I, yeah, this one... I don't see it, dude. What's interesting is I, I didn't even know this was coming, for one. Like, I read this, this casting announcement, I'm like... what. Oh, okay, Lady in live action, Lady in the Tramp. Like it wasn't a big surprise because I'm like well aware of the fact that Disney is going through basically all their old movies and remaking them. Like that's a thing now. But like you know, it was kind of a surprise to go. Okay, they're doing that one. That's that's interesting. And, and I I kind of agree. Like it's maybe a kind of a weird choice, but I don't know. Like I I'm interested to see. Like I okay, I'm gonna also I'm gonna make a confession confession here. I haven't seen the original. Oh, dude! Oh, it's such a and beautiful a, a duck. For, such a beautiful cans being thrown at me. It's now. a beautifully crafted movie, and it's got 
it's got some some great heart great heart great characters great display of emotion especially for a film that was made in 1955 like it's right it's, yeah. it's part of it's that what do you call it disney golden age or something like that like yeah yeah you're right it's, it's that, that, they were really firing on all cylinders back then it's it was it was a brilliant brilliant movie and I don't know. Maybe it's the animation style. Maybe it's the story. Maybe it's the fact that it's that old. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a combination of those things. But even with the announcements that they're making about this movie, even with the casting announcements that they're making, I just I don't feel like this one is one that should be touched. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a classic. Having the two dogs slurping on spaghetti and then they end up performing like a human kiss, if you will, like it's. It's cliche, and we know it'll never happen, and yet it's led to so many, like, Instagram videos of couples doing it, and it's led to, like, other movies trying to imitate it. Like, it's inspired so much in just that one sequence, and just in the movie as a whole, that I I don't know if it needs a remake, but they're doing it. And uh, Justin Theroux is going to be the voice of Tramp, in in this rendition mm-hmm. and they just hired uh his uh, leading lady and it's none other than thor ragnarok's tessa thompson yeah. and and don't get me wrong tessa is is a fantastic actress she's a beautiful actress and she's got a lot of talent and after listening to her voice again going back and just listening to the way that she speaks like in movies in uh like thor ragnarok I get it. I, I get it. And I think it's a good casting choice. I don't think the movie's a good choice. And I, I may be in the minority among this, but I I don't think a movie as tender-hearted as Lady and the Tramp needs to be directed by the person who directed the Lego Ninjago movie. Like, I'm looking <laughs> at this Hollywood Reporter article, and this is the, the best title that Charlie Bean has. Is that you? You directed the Lego Ninjago movie, so that qualifies you to do a live-action CGI remake of a 1955 classic. I'm I'm sorry, I don't see it, and and I mean they've got some other some other pretty good names in here. You've got Ashley Jensen going to be playing the Scottish Terrier Jackie. You've got Benedict Wong from Doctor Strange, who's going to be the English oh, Bulldog nice. Bull. Kiersey Clemens is going to be the voice of, uh, or playing Darling. Here's the thing. In the original Lady and the Tramp, you don't ever see Darling's face. So I'm curious to see if they're going to continue with those types of camera angles. And you never end up seeing Clemens' face. You just see Darling, the character. I I don't know what they're going... I, I really don't know what they're going to do with this. I don't know where they're going. I just... Me personally, I don't feel like it's a good idea. I think I think it's more than... More than more, they bit off more than they could chew. I know I'm losing the words and I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I I don't I don't like this idea. I really don't. Well, another 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 interesting thing about this is the fact that this isn't because I I wanted to look up a release date for this movie because I'm like, okay, when is this coming out? And I had trouble finding it, and then I come to find out it doesn't really have a release date because it's coming out on the Disney Direct. Direct streaming service, 
that's supposedly coming next year sometime. So this isn't even going to be a theatrical film. It's going to be a it's going to be a film that's released on their streaming service. So I'm starting to wonder, like, you know, what's what's the budget going to be for this thing? Like, it's going to be is it going to be a big deal? Like, I would think like that's where you, you like if you have a movie. Seem like this would be a big deal, but. I don't think a movie on a streaming service is going to be as big of a deal as it would be in the theaters. And I know we've come a long way with streaming services and movies, but like it is a bit of a weird choice to say, Hey, we're remoking this like beloved classic, but we're putting it on a streaming service. Okay. But Disney redoing lady and the tramp is a lot different from Netflix doing a Will Smith movie where he plays a Los Angeles cop next to an alien. True, you know, true. I mean, I'm I'm trying my hardest not to consider this to bright. I'm trying to consider it alongside the likes of um, what 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 would it be? Um, Orange is the New Black. You know, is a super popular Netflix yeah. original. Uh, House of Cards was a super popular Netflix original before the Kevin Spacey stuff happened. Uh, there were there were a couple of really really popular Netflix original programs. And the only way you could watch that TV was by having a Netflix subscription. So the precedent is there. You know, it's not like it's an unheard of thing for a big budget to be put into something that's going to be streaming. I feel like they're going to put a decent amount of money into it so that they can entice the viewers to come over to this Disney streaming service. That's that's ultimately the goal. If you're not putting enough money into your exclusive projects, then the people aren't going to be interested in keeping that exclusive streaming service because that's the kind of content you're putting out. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. And I mean, they want to be, they want to have give people a reason to actually buy their streaming service. Right. I mean, we just talked about last week the you know the the Mandalorian TV show that's coming from Star Wars. Um, you know, that's going to be a big thing. Like, they want to be able to say, hey, there's this and there's this. Like, you can watch all these old movies from Disney, but you can also watch new Disney movies. And you don't even have to go to the theater. So, I like, I get that. Um, and, you know, that's got to, that's definitely a plus for the, the streaming service itself. And, but, you know, as always, like, it's just like how, you know, how is this movie going to be treated since it's not going to be a legit like some people don't even consider like movies to be movies unless they're in a theater i don't necessarily have that opinion but you know it's definitely going to be treated a bit differently because it's on a streaming service and not you know a theatrical film yeah i i'm nervous dude i'm not gonna lie sometimes news isn't always happy news it isn't always good news and to me this isn't good news i it, while we're on the subject of the streaming service I also have to admit, I'm really nervous about just how much they feel like it's going to be fair to charge for access to this streaming service. Because if it's anything above the $7.99 to $9.99 US dollar region, I don't know if I'm going to pay for it. Like, just me yeah. per just me personally, if you're thinking that Disney exclusive content is worth $11, $12, $13 a month, I don't even pay for HBO Go, you know? I... I have yeah, I mean, I have an Amazon subscription because I like Amazon Prime and the the TV stuff just comes along with it. I have a Netflix subscription because I watch and rewatch a ton of the programming that's on there. I borrow a Hulu subscription from somebody that I know just so that I can see some of the stuff that's on there. But 
you know, I don't know if I can justify spending another twelve, thirteen ninety nine on another streaming service. And if this, I mean, if this is, if this is services... what they want to make, if this is the exclusive thing that they want to put on there, that's not going to reel me in. I'm sorry. Streaming services, I mean, to be honest, are becoming a problem now because at the dawn of this kind of new age of streaming services, you had Netflix. And that was about it. And Hulu was kind of still a thing. But, like, the 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 great thing about it was, like, you can buy Netflix subscription. And that's it. And you have access to all these different movies. Disney movies, Universal, whatever. Like, all these different things. And they have their own original stuff. It was great. And now it's becoming that all these studios are realizing, hey, Netflix is a huge thing. We can do the same thing with our own movies now it's good for them and it's bad for us because now we have to have, if you want to watch Disney movies, you're going to have to buy the Disney streaming service. If you're going to watch HBO shows or Game of Thrones or whatever, you got to go buy HBO Go. If you want to watch, you know, tons of other shows like Seinfeld, you better go buy a Hulu subscription because it's not on anywhere else. Like, you know, so it's, it, it sucks for us because now, you know, like Disney streaming service, it's going to be, I'll say it's going to be worth the money, I think, because it's going to have so much stuff you're going to have. Eventually, you're going to have all the Disney movies, and Disney owns pretty much everything. They're fixing his own 20th Century Fox, which is going to be crazy. And so you're going to have a ton of content plus all the new content they're producing. So if they're charging, I mean, even if they're charging 10 bucks a month, which is ungodly amount of money for a streaming service at 10 bucks a month, but still, like, they're going to give you some stuff to buy but you know, give you some stuff to watch but you know are you going to want to pay that on top of Hulu Netflix not me I'm not doing that I'm not going to pay for more than one subscription service like you know and unfortunately it's just going to encourage piracy that's just where we're going right now and this is always going to think and you know it's it's sad that these studios can never get ahead of that they're always complaining about piracy but they're always encouraging it with stuff like this which sucks yeah it's it's a vicious cycle and it's it's one that i don't see any end in the foreseeable future which is a terrible thing to say but also a terrible reality that we must face so i mean congrats to thoreau and thompson i look forward to seeing what kind of chemistry you're going to have on screen uh i'm i'm curious it's the that's the best word i can put there right now but i'm not going to hold my breath and i'm not going to be signing up for this disney streaming service just for that particular movie if anything i'm hoping i'm keeping my fingers crossed that their archives are going to include pixar movies you know i'm keeping my fingers crossed that their archive is going to go as far back as snow white and the seven dwarfs and we're literally going to be able to see just like every possible disney movie there is in existence everything from snow white to the great mouse detective you know i want to see it all and if they have to cycle it through then fine cycle it through but you really have to find a way to make it worth my while to pay into it month in and month out a live action lady in the tramp isn't going to do that but an impressive archive might do it yeah yeah well we'll see how it goes and we'll see you know what uh this is going to look like in a few years because probably by this time next year we'll have at least an idea when it's coming if not already had the streaming service and 
see what's on it, see if it's worth the money, you know, compared to the other ones. And, you know, I mean, if anything, if, 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 if any one studio can make a streaming service worth the money, it's Disney because they own everything. But, you know, on top of that, they're Disney. <sighs> oh, man, that's another debate I don't know if I have time for. <laughs> I don't think we have any time for any of this no, because we, we do have. We have a discussion topic to get we to. We do, we do. And I, I was and it's tr- also Disney-related. I was trying to bring that back around by saying I want the Pixar archive to be included in that, and then maybe that would bring it back around to the Pixar movie that we've got during our Pixar discussion, but eh, my, uh, my segues... Oh, so you're and, blaming this on me. No, I'm saying my segues and my <laughs> transitions aren't as, uh, as smooth as they could be, but Monsters, Inc. was a very enjoyable film to watch and it's one of those ones that's enjoyable to watch again you know i watched it plenty of times when i was younger the movie came out in 2001 which is a crazy thing to think about um so it's it's been around about as long as my sister's been around she she was born around 2000 2001 and uh so she's about as old as this movie is and when i tell her things like that she just turns pale which is pretty funny to watch (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, having had it around as long as it's been, uh, it, it avails you plenty of opportunities to watch and plenty of opportunities to realize how timeless this movie is. Like, because it's set in a different universe and because it's got this fantastic cast of characters, it uh, it really stands the test of time. It's one that you can watch in 2018 and enjoy it just as much as you did back in 2001. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I should mention right off the top, we're going to do spoiler-free thoughts off the top, just in case this um, this 20-year-old movie you haven't seen good yet, we don't want to spoil it for you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going to spoil the heck out of it right off the top. Good grief. Uh, Boo dies. There. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This, I didn't expect that movie. That This movie took a dark turn in the third act. I wasn't expecting <laughs> Oh no! This oh is, man, this is a very fun, adventurous movie. Uh, you know, you you have the toys that go on an adventure in Toy Story, and you have the fish that right. go on an adventure in Finding Nemo, like you like we talked about last week. And now in this one, you've got monsters that go on an adventure, and they go on an adventure with a little girl, a, a little girl who can barely speak, and yet still finds a way to teach them how to love better. And how to love each other better. And, like, be more accepting of one another, even in spite of your differences. Like, there's a lot of really inspirational stuff that gets interwoven into the adventurous nature of this film. There's peril. But in the midst of that peril, there's comedy. And in the midst of that comedy, there's warmth. And in the midst of that Mm -hmm. warmth, there's, you know, so many other things that just make this a really, really solid film. And, you know, if I had to give just thoughts and impressions on it, I am pretty sure I put this movie in my top five favorite Pixar movies. When we did that top five discussion, I'm pretty sure Monsters, Inc. made it into my top five Pixar films. In fact, it's number two. So I, I rank this movie really, really high. I may have to readjust the rankings after our discussion of Finding Nemo last week, but... Right now, Monsters, Inc. is number two out of my favorite Pixar films of all time. And there's a lot of reasons as to why. And 
I, I don't know if I have enough time to describe all those things when talking about just initial thoughts and impressions. Hopefully, the deeper we dive into this discussion, the more I can continue to praise this film. It's absolutely amazing. It is. It is. And I, it's funny. I just watched it. As I said last week, it had been a while since I've seen Finding Nemo. And today was the first time I'd watched Monsters, Inc. for the first time I, it may have been 2001 the last time I saw this movie. I don't know. Dang, like, it's been so long. Like, okay, I'm going to tell you how long. I think you can tell by the, by the description of how I first watched this movie. You can tell how long ago it was. Did you watch it on VHS? No, I did not. But <laughs> I watched it on DVD. And, and how I got it is the interesting part. I went to this mythical place called the video store. No way. And I rented it. Was it? I went, yeah, kids kids remember now, before there was Netflix or Redbox or any of these things, there was YouTube. You could rent a video on YouTube, which is what I did today. You had to go to a physical location called the movie store. And it was this place where you went in, there were shelves of movies. And you went and picked out a movie to rent, and they would give you for a certain price, and you'd take it. And sometimes they wouldn't even have it. Sometimes someone else has already rented it, and you couldn't get that movie, so you had to get another movie. I remember but that. I rented the DVD of Monsters, Inc., and I played it in my portable DVD player. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that I had way back in the day, my most prized possession. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and that dvd was all scratched up because it was a rental yep. and it was didn't play good yep. so i constantly like throughout the thing i mean press play press play because it would play for like 30 seconds and stop yep like, and it would it play, would pause play, because play. the laser wasn't scanning the disc properly and it just pause you have to hit play again and it'd play for a little bit and then it would pause again and you would flip it over and you'd check for smudges because smudges you could fix but scratches you mm -hmm. couldn't I remember being... And you know, I mean, you know somebody will abuse this thing, or more than one people abuse this thing, because it's a rental. I remember being a connoisseur of gently used DVDs, because sometimes the video store would put them up for sale, and you're like, hey, I want this movie for my own collection, and it's cheaper getting it used from the video store than it is buying it new from Target or Walmart. So I would go there when I was looking for movie purchases back in the day, and I would ask them to, like, break the seal and open it up so that I could inspect the disc. And I, I felt almost like a jeweler, if you will. You know how when the jeweler will, <laughs> will get out the little uh, magnifying glass and he'll, like, check the jewel to see if it's, like, in pristine condition or anything like that? I would do that with the DVDs. I would turn them and I would twist them and I'd spin them and I'd put them at different angles and I'd crane my neck to different parts of the disc to check for scratches in unfortunate places and see if there were more smudges than scratches. And if I finally felt like this movie was worth my money, if it was deemed worth my time and my effort, then and only then would I buy it. And then I would take it home and get a warm a uh, washcloth i'd get a, i'd get warm water and run it over a, a wash rag and i would try and clean the smudges by rotating it in a circular pattern i wouldn't go back and forth i wouldn't go up and down i wouldn't go counterclockwise every time i was trying to remove the smudge i was making a clockwise circle and then i didn't 
um, dry it with another washcloth because that would actually just leave more smudges behind. So what I did was I would air dry it. And sometimes I would do two movies at a time and I'd put one disc in my left hand and one disc in my right hand and I would just flap them in the air like a bird trying to air dry the discs so that there wouldn't yeah. be a smudge left on them when I was through. It was a very yeah. intricate process deciding what movies were worth having in your collection back in that day. And you could get some pretty good deals at the at the video store. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you know, of course it was used, so they'd mark a lot of price off of it. And it's like the it's like a five dollar bin at Walmart. <laughs> dude. Nowadays. Dude, like, there are some Walmarts that have absolutely amazing five dollar bins. And then there are some others that have movies I've literally never even heard of. Until they're I just, they're just full of Sharknado. Until I peeked into the bin and saw that that movie actually existed, and I was like, "What the heck?" But no, one time I went to a, a five dollar bin that had The Sandlot, and it had Jaws, and it had um, what else was in it? It had oh, it was like a movie from my childhood. I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, but it, it had like a really, really good selection, but that particular Walmart was like an hour away. And I was like, I'm sorry, no, oh. I can't make the trip for one hour just to take a look at what this $5 bin might have. So I take my chances yeah. with my local Walmart cause it's literally like a mile away from where I live. But that was, that was a fun day finding all those classic movies in a $5 bin. It's a sad statement to yeah. make on classic movies that they're only worth $5 on DVD now, but hey, more for me. I made a purchase. I made a purchase. Do you want to guess what purchase I made? Speaking of discs, speaking of Blu-rays, this is a big deal. I got to pause from the Monsters, Inc. discussion and make this official announcement. Um, oh. I have officially bought my 300th movie. I have officially bought the 300th movie that is a part of my movie collection. Now, sometimes you've got, like, anthologies, and they put, like, four discs into one box. So it's not 300 disc boxes. It's 300 movies. I got to make that distinction. Mm. But I have 300 movies in my collection now because I went out and bought the Blu-ray for Avengers Infinity War today. Yeah. I have been waiting for literally like two months in order for that to actually be my 300th purchase, my my 300th movie. And now I've got this back order of movies that I need to go buy. <laughs> I've got stuff on my Amazon waiting list. I've got stuff that I've seen at the at the local Walmarts and Targets that I want to go get. I've got like 15 movies that I'm waiting on now. Because I wanted to make sure that I had Infinity War as my 300th movie. Damn. I'm just OCD like that. Hey, I mean, I, I can think of no better movie to uh, to make that. Especially for a nerd like me, you know? Heck I've yeah. got, like, pretty much the entire rest of the MCU, except for the Incredible Hulk, which I don't think I really need. But I've got the entire rest of the MCU either on DVD or Blu-ray, so... It made sense to round things out and make a nice round 300 with Infinity War being the 300th movie. So, yay. Perfect, perfect. How many Pixar movies do you have? Uh, I've got a lot, actually. I've got uh, Up, I've got Inside Out, I've got Monsters, Inc., I've got Toy Story, and I think I've got Toy Story 2. I don't think I've got Toy Story 3. My sister has Toy Story 3, 
Wally and Ratatouille. So if I ever want to see those movies, I just go over and visit her. Um, shoot, what else do I have? I know I've got another one. Uh, I'd have to go and take a look at my collection just to make sure. I've got the movie Cars. I've got the first Cars movie. Um, let me think. I might have A Bug's Life. And I'm pretty sure I've got Finding Nemo somewhere. Because I watched that disc. Um, I think I've got the full screen version and my family has the widescreen version of it. So I've got a few. I don't I don't have all of them, but I've got a few. I would like to add Wally to my collection. I don't know if I really want to add Ratatouille to my collection. I'm, I'm, I'm not being like super judgmental of it. It just wasn't my thing, you know? There, there were some good elements of that movie, but... I'm fine with my sister owning it, and if we ever want to watch it, I'll just borrow her copy, you know? But <laughs> Monsters, Inc. is definitely one that I've wanted to have in my own personal library just because of how much I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that movie. Um, one of the things that we put in our show notes here was just looking at what our favorite memories are of the film. And honestly, that's that's kind of hard because this movie's been with me for like most of my childhood. You know, mm-hmm. I've yeah. I've introduced this movie to friends. I've introduced this movie to family members, like cousins and aunts and uncles. Uh, I've I've watched it on slow nights when my family's bored and we just want to watch something and watch something entertaining. You know, there's there's a lot of different memories associated with this film and and how I've basically been brought up with it. So. I mean, just to have that collection of memories is something that's really special to me because it, like I, like I said at the top of the discussion, it's timeless. It has stood the test of time for me and my family, and I feel like it's probably done the same for a lot of other people as well. Oh, for sure. And just as someone who, it just kind of, I just rediscover it today, like, you know, I, I remember it pretty well, but, you know, it was nice to go back and, it, you know, even when when you've been away from a movie so long, it, it feels new in the same way. And, like, it really is, like it, like I said, it's, it's timeless, and the animation is, is superb. It, it's, it's, it's a beautiful film, and we'll kind of talk about the different locations that it, 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 it went to because it went to a lot of interesting places, and the whole world that it creates... Like, it's not taking, like, Finding Nemo takes a real place, like, under the sea, and translates that into, you know, animation, and makes it beautiful, and kind of translates the beauty of that world to animation, whereas this is really creating a whole other world, a whole other universe that is the monster world, and it's this colorful, you know, brilliant place that's so interesting and so fascinating, and, you know, just the whole concept of... And I mean, props to Pixar for coming up with so many different great ideas. Like, so many different unique ideas. Like, I hear people talking all the time about, Hollywood's run out of ideas and this kind of stuff. Like, have you watched a Pixar movie? <laughs> because Pixar is is killing it. Like, out of the couple sequels they've done, like, most of them have been original films, and Monsters, Inc. is one of those. And yes, it's a few years old, but, you know, still it kind of, it, it's it's in a long line of, and continuing line of, of films that just draw from these crazy premises a a parallel universe with monsters where the monsters use portals, door portals to get into kids' 
closets and scare them because their scares are a source for power for the monsters. That's nuts. Like, I can imagine the person that so, pitched that story initially, like, you'd have to be insane. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a really, really brilliant imagination to come up with this world, to come up with this concept, to come up with these types of characters. And I really feel like the artists and the writing team and just everybody involved must have had a lot of fun with this movie because you've got so many different creatures in this world. You've got so many different characters in this universe. Some of them have multiple eyes. Some of them have one eye. Some of them have multiple appendages. Some of them have only one appendage and they're just like straight up and down. Some of them are gelatin based. Some of them are giant chickens. Some of them are bird based. Some of them look more like bats. Some of them more like giant kitties. You know, there's so many different ways that they got to take this. And yet everybody cooperates with everybody. Everybody is getting along with everybody you know it's not like the monsters and the different types of monsters scare one another it's the human kids that scare them. they are terrified of kids it's a very interesting concept that something as terrifying to us humans as a giant spider octopus thing with claws like mr waternoose is that he would be intimidated by a tiny little girl that's barely two years old yeah exactly you know, the way that they're the way that they're able to take society and and turn it on its head and give you something that's completely different from the social norm, it's like a form of escapism almost. You get to escape to this monster world and you get to experience monster living and lifestyle and what kind of crises they go through and what kind of similarities they may have and what kind of differences they may have from humans. And you just get to explore their world you just get to explore what it's like to be a monster and it's a great stretch of the imagination you have to suspend your disbelief just enough to enjoy it and yet also keep an open enough mind to be able to recognize that you know the way that they treat scream is maybe the way that we treat electricity or maybe the way that we treat gasoline or maybe the way that we treat x whatever there's still similarities. The, the the creators at Pixar were still able to come up with enough parallels to keep the adults engaged, but still made it colorful and adventurous and creative enough to reel the kids in. It's one of those brilliant blends that works on so many levels. It really is. It's it's a it's it's of course kids are gonna be sucked into this, not just because there actually is a, a kid in it, and because it's like these crazy monsters and kids kids love monsters like these aren't like as much as they play up the fact that kids are supposed to be or at least they were supposed to be terrified of these monsters and how how great of a scarer sully is like sully is this giant purple and you know this bluish pink like stuffed bear or whatever like he's just he's he's adorable in and of himself like and kids just aren't just love him like I think, I think any kid that watches this movie loves them, and you have, you know, you have Mike and all these kind of, and just all the, these weird, super, you know, but they're not like creepy. They're they're cool. They're you know they're interesting designs. You can imagine like what it took to, for them to like come up with all the designs for these monsters. Like that had to be a fun process because there's so many different ones that you see, and 
but also it's like it's something that like visually it catches your eye and of course kids are going to be engaged with it because it's that and it's just the great story but also like it has that heartwarming you know tug at your heartstrings actually really great story behind it that if you're an adult you're like okay I'm into this like and that's the perfect blend that Pixar always hits most of the time I'm not going to say always most of the time 90% of the time they hit where it's you know it's a movie that both kids and adults get something different but also the same out of and they get enjoyment out of it and you know that's just their formula that's why we're talking about this now is because they really it just hits home with all age groups it's not just this stupid cartoon it's it's a film that hits you in the right places comedically drum dramatically all the different things yeah i mean the reason we're talking about it at all is because you voted on it in our top five episode you know you the listeners yeah when we asked you to submit what your top five pixar movies were i'm pretty sure monsters inc checked in at like number three behind uh the movie we're going to talk about next week and the incredibles so i mean monsters inc got a lot of votes it got a lot a lot of votes it may not have always been your number three may not have always been your number one but we tallied it up in such a way that everything was assigned a point value and monsters inc got a lot of votes and i think there's absolutely good reason for that um for me one of the elements that i always enjoyed when i was watching this movie was the different locations that you got to visit in the monster universe and outside of it. Uh, you know, in mm-hmm. movies like Toy Story, you're in Andy's room, you're at Pizza Planet, and you're in Sid's room. That's where a bulk of your your adventures are, are limited to. Uh, in something like Cars, you're in Radiator Springs for a majority of the film. So it's it's more story-based right. than it is visually-based. Although there are some pretty fantastic visuals in that movie. We need to talk about the Cars trilogy one of these days just to get it out of the we way. Because, I mean, 3 was alright, 2 was terrible, but 1 is a really, really well-animated, well-written movie. But I digress. There's a lot of really cool locations that you get to visit in Monsters, Inc. You get to see the guy's apartment complex. You get to see the ins and outs of the factory, even some of the dark side of the factory, you know, the little hidden places that you think maybe they shouldn't exist, but you still find your way into the nooks and crannies. You get to see Monster City. You know, they come out of the apartment, they go out onto the streets, and they're meeting everybody, and everybody's living their life. You know, kids are doing jump rope on another kid's tongue. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's the adventure that happens at uh, Harryhausen's. You, you get the guys exiled to the Himalayas at one point where they meet the abominable snowman. And then you just going in and out and in and out of different doors at the end of the movie, going from location to location, that must have been really taxing on the animators, which just gives you a whole lot of opportunities to see these characters in action in multiple places. So... You know, a question that I wanted to pose to you, Ben, was upon watching it today, did you have Mm -hmm. like a place, like a favorite location where you enjoyed watching things unfold more than others? Oh, yeah, you're right. Like there is a lot of great locations, like more like because like I tend to like, of course, older I get and the more I talk about films like this, I'm like, like, hey, they had to do a lot of work on this. Like they had to like animate all of this. Like it's not, you just don't just enjoy it. I'm just like, 
oh, that's like, I don't do it in a bad way, but I'm like, it, that's fascinating that they put a lot of work into this film and like each location has to be created totally by human beings. Like, that's a big deal and that's impressive. Um, so like, you know, going into this, like you, you go through, especially like the ending with all of the different doors when they're going through different houses and stuff like that. Like, it's crazy. Um, I have to give, I have to say, like, I'm not sure if it's totally, like, my all-time favorite, like, um, you know, like, location in this movie, but, like, I love the Harry Houses place. Oh, yeah. Because, obviously, it's a call-out to, uh, to Ray Harryhausen, who is the, the kind of the, not kind of, he is, like, the most, one of the most prolific, like, um, stop-motion artists of all time, like he really revolutionized that area. So I'm, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that that's a shout out to him, Harry House. I mean, it, it had to have been. It had to have been because it's a sushi restaurant. You know, like how many how many places do you know of that that have uh, a name like Harry Housen's? It's a it's a sushi restaurant. <laughs> Although when I when I went to Disneyland, I actually got to ride a Monsters Inc. ride that was. Uh, set in the theme of Harryhausen's. Oh, really? It was pretty fun. Now, I there's a there was a I don't know if it was a ride, but at Disney World there is a Monsters Inc. experience, like a stage show, uh-huh. where it takes off where it takes off where this movie leaves off, and it's like they're trying to come up with like jokes and stuff like that to like make people laugh, and it's like a comedy show. Oh, and that's kind of the basis of it. So you go in and Mike Mike and Sully are trying to like make people laugh. It's like a thing, and then you have cameos for different characters which is pretty cool that is pretty cool that is... i don't know if it's still there or not but it was pretty cool when i saw it years ago that is pretty cool and i mean i'm not i'm not going to talk about the door scene too much right now because i think that's something that we need to talk about right. towards the tail end of the discussion because it's just a really really creative climax but if i had to pick something i i think i would go with monster city as as little time as mm-hmm. we got, even with that brief instance, Monster City was clean. It was peaceful. It was practical. It was uh, it, it was diverse. It it kind of had a little bit of a New York feel to it, but it also made you feel like you were at home in that place. And so, I mean, you spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in the factory. Yes, you spend a lot of time in the men's room. Yes. You you spend a lot of time in the back rooms, behind the scenes, that kind of thing. But, you know, the factory is in Monster City. The apartment is in Monster City. Harryhausen's is in Monster City. So Monster City kind of encapsulates all of those different elements and just continues to show some of the some of the, some of the great uh, animation. Some of the great creativity with the with the different diverse characters that we meet there. Um, there, there's just a lot to be said about you know maybe having some sort of a video game where you get to be Mike and Sully, like a drop in, drop out co op kind of thing, like Lego Star Wars, where you play as as Mike and yeah, Sully and you cool. go exploring through Monster City. I would totally play the heck out of a game like that. Lego Monsters Inc. Make it happen. That would be pretty cool. I'd be okay with that. Um, Man, I th- there's a, there's still a lot more to talk about, but I think we need to hit the pause button for just a little bit here. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to a brief program identification. We've been at it for almost an hour now, so we're going to we're going to hit the pause button for a second. 
Go to program identification and a commercial break, and we will see you on the flip side as we continue our discussion for tonight's topic, Monsters, Inc. Hey there, everybody. It's Sage from the Night Force Media Network, and I'm here to tell you about our new show, The Fandom Cantina, and why you need to tune into it. Also here to talk about it is, um, uh, oh yeah, right, it's Mondo. Wait, wait, wait. So you think I got like, like an afterthought? Let no, me tell no, you but... something, okay? You act like I don't know anything about Star Wars I, I never and the said Force that. Or, uh, or other movies. I'll have you know I was a MoviePass subscriber, okay? And I subscribed Wait, but... to A-List, and you act like I don't know anything about television. You no. know, like all those fancy shows and video games? Let me I, tell you something, I didn't man. Say... I have beaten 50 video games this year alone, and 50? you don't think that I like making odd-numbered list countdown lists up? Oh, oh, you are oh, you are oh, sadly oh. mistaken, sir. So yeah, that's what our show's about. You can catch us 10 p.m. Eastern Wednesday nights. Mixler's Night Force Media. See you then. Are you a fan of pop culture, science fiction, or fantasy franchises? Do you love comics, movies, and TV shows? If so, you have to listen to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Weekly episodes hosted by Zach and Ben are lighthearted, fun, informative, and interactive. In a universe of podcasts, IPC is the place to be. Hey, we're back. Did you miss us? We sure missed you. Well, a little bit anyways. But we are on the other side of the break, continuing our discussion of Monsters, Inc. here on episode 202 of the IPC podcast. And uh, we're getting to some of the really good questions mm-hmm. now, the ones that everybody wants to talk about, the ones that is, that's been on everybody's mind since the start of the discussion. And uh, I think one of the obvious choices, we were talking about scenery earlier, like some of the different locations that we really enjoyed. Um, but what's interesting is while I may have had a a favorite location in monstropolis as i have been corrected i called it monster city before (laughs) but it's actually monstropolis i had to be corrected for that um that sequence through monstropolis may not have been my favorite scene per se uh so it begs the question what was our favorite scene so ben I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna flip it over to you first what was your favorite sequence from the original monsters inc that's a very good question, and it's a very hard one because there really is. I mean, there it, there's so many that go from like just this crazy, comedic, super funny, hilarious scenes that, and then it flips over to these honestly moments that made me cry. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Yep. There's some tearjerker yep. moments in this movie. Um, and it's a testament to yep. like how great it is, and. I don't know, like, I love, I like the scene, it was actually one scene that I could remember vividly from the first time, but I love the uh, scene where, uh, what's his name, um, the lizard guy, why am I blanking on his name? Randall. Randall. Also, really quick, I love that this whole universe, like, you know, Monstropolis is like a normal city, basically just with monsters, and also on top of that, all the monsters have normal names. Like Randall, yeah. James Sullivan, Mike Wazowski. Like they're not like weird names. They're weird in their looks, but they're not 
weird thing. I just that's just a, that, like like the the one that looks like a, a snail with tentacles. Her name was Marge. How was jury duty, Marge? Exactly. Like that's the, the it's it's going to the it's being as normal as possible also emphasizes how weird and ridiculous this situation is. But getting back to my point, Randall is in the bathroom and he's with his um with his uh protege or his henchman who by the way voiced by Frank Oz. If you didn't catch Frank that. Frank Oz. Of course, yeah. Of course, if you've listened to... He doesn't sound anything like Yoda. No. Not a if, bit. If you've listened to enough Miss Piggy and Yoda and all of his other characters, you can detect Frank Oz in that thing. Because like, I heard him like, that voice sounds familiar. And then I looked at the cast and I was like, I'm like oh yeah, Frank Oz, of course. Um, and that was great. And it really wasn't a huge role. I don't know why he's in this movie, but it's just weird, but awesome. But... Uh, he may he may be friends with the director or something and just did it for fun. Maybe I mean he's a man of many voices, so you know it, it's actually surprising he hasn't been in more of these Pixar movies. I didn't even think about the fact that he was in a Pixar movie, but apparently he is. He's in Monsters Inc. But the scene Go where figure. yeah yeah, but the scene where they're in the bathroom and Boo is in there and you know they're and then they're they climb on top of the toilet and to gang and you have that whole scene where he knocks the bathroom door open and then he hits the door and they're facing away from it and the door opens and then closes and they're sitting there going Ugh, they're like holding their breath it's a great little it's like this tense sequence but also like that added comedic slap at the end to it that's great yeah i mean that's a really clever blend honestly yeah. like to to have the two antagonists really really close to your three protagonists and you you add some some tension and some fear and some drama into it, but you've also got some comedy to it because Mike stepped his foot in the toilet, and then after the two bad guys leave, he falls in, and he's walking away with toilet paper stuck to his foot. Like, there's some mystery and intrigue in there when they're talking about, get the machine up and running, and... Then there's also the comedic aspect where little Boo just sees him fall in and goes, "Ew!" Like, it's hilarious. It's toilet humor meets mystery movie, and I don't know of very many films that could pull something like that off. Monsters Inc. is one of them. Oh yeah, totally. And it, it's just it's this, you know, it just goes the tone of it is and it's not a criticism it's it's a compliment the highest compliment that it it toes the line of so many different tones and it goes back and forth mm -hmm. between this comedy to drama and i think you know as we talk about with so many films comedies work best when they have that you know that emotional kick especially towards the end especially with this one but like you know you have that you know really tear-jerking moments and then also laugh out loud oh my gosh this is ridiculous moments yeah and that's one of the things that this movie does so well is i i read online that it's only 93 minutes in length really the movie's only 93 minutes which compared to some modern movies like infinity war or civil war or something like that that's honestly super short. It is like an hour and a half. An hour and a half used to be the standard. Like that's how long people's attention spans are, and apparently they've grown to almost three hours, three plus hours. But 
back in the day, back in 2001, you had about 90 to 100 minutes to work with. And they kept it to 93 and still told this fantastic story. Still took you to these amazing places and locations and still showed off these amazing creatures. And got it all done in 93 minutes. I mean, this is, I mean, you think about it. There's a lot of long movies out, and that's not a new thing. I mean, Gone with the Wind was, what, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, one of the longest movies ever. But, like, you know, Last Jedi, longest Star Wars movie ever, I believe. Um, uh, You know, Infinity War was super long. I just saw Mission Impossible Fallout. That's almost two and a half hours, like, ridiculously long. Um, Didn't really feel like it. All those movies are good, but, like, you know, but Pixar's like, nah, we don't need it, like, you know, we'll wrap this up an hour and a half. We're done. We're going to tell a good story, and we don't need all that time. And that's a testament. It's a breeze, but it it's funny how you certain movies you watch like, oh, I did, that didn't feel that long. And it was like two and a half hours or three hours. But then on top of that, you watch a Pixar movie. It's like, oh, that felt like a two, two and a half hour movie, but it really was just 90 minutes. Credit to the creative team for coming up with something that was just that well organized, well constructed, well thought out, that it only took them 93 minutes to tell a fantastic story. If I had to pick a favorite piece of those 93 minutes, that's a really hard thing to do, by the way. But if I had to pick a favorite piece, I would probably say it's when they make it to the door warehouse when they're running off with Boo at the end of the movie. You know, you're kind of coming to this climactic finish, and you've got to find some way to escape the bad guys. Now that you know that Water Noose is in on it, you're like, oh my gosh, we've got nowhere to go, no one to turn to. So they turn to themselves, and they use Boo's laughing power to power up all the doors, and they're just jumping from door to door, from dimension to dimension. And it's super creative and super adventurous. And and I think there's one part where they they go through a door and they end up on, like, this desert island or something. And Mike looks around at the huts and the beaches and the sand and he goes, why couldn't we have gotten banished here? Like, even in the middle of their tragedy, even in the middle of, of being chased by the bad guys, they still found time for some comedic humor. And it, and it was really well-timed got to give credit to to John Goodman and Billy Crystal. Their chemistry for this movie was phenomenal. It's, it's so good. It's 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 up there. I feel like the relationship, I feel like of course like we did top 5 duos and stuff like that on this show and we've talked about how much yeah, we how much we love Buzz and Buzz Woody, and Woody. Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, like all this. I feel like the relationship between Mike and Sully is an underrated relationship, and I still think I it still is. think a lot of people love that relationship and give it its credit. But still, like I don't feel like it's up there among this. But like you have Billy Crystal and and John Goodman. I mean, how it doesn't get any better than that? And then on top of that, just just their chemistry is just phenomenal. It's so great, and their performances are great. Well, one thing that I read, and it may not be entirely true, because, you know, the internet is 100% reliable, but I read that for some of their scenes, they actually read them together in the studio. I've, yeah. And that's not very common among voice actors. Most of the time, you're in the booth, you're by yourself, you're doing your thing, and you're done. But uh, I read that Steve Buscemi and 
Frank Oz got together for that bathroom scene when they were playing off of each other. Mm -hmm. You just get the machine up and running. I'll take care of the kid. That scene, the two of them were in the same recording booth. And I think there were a couple of scenes that Mike and Sully were were together. You know, John Goodman and, and Billy Crystal were together doing their lines for a couple of scenes as well. So it, it really shows when you can tell that the actors are kind of playing off of each other and, and getting a vibe from one another because it just makes the dialogue that much more enjoyable. And getting both of them together, you can imagine, like, how much, you know improv they can do like you know being you know especially billy crystal this just comic genius oh, yeah. like you can imagine how much stuff that maybe same thing with same thing with with like find uh, with finding nemo with you have like ellen degeneres like a ridiculously hilarious person you know putting them behind the yeah. microphone like you can imagine like what they came up with just on the fly and there's so many like just the comedic timing is perfect the the difference is I did read something a few years ago that seemed to suggest the guy who did the voice of Marlon never interacted with any of his co-stars. Really? He just he just came in, recorded his lines, did his part, got paid and left. So, I I I I have a hard time comparing those two i know that we just talked about finding nemo right. last week but you know it was it was just unfortunate because the same thing happened with the lion king you know uh, i i i i saw in an interview that matthew broderick and uh nathan lane they they work on broadway together now but when they were working on the lion king they really just passed each other in the hallway a couple of times during their recording sessions and that was it and wow. it was it was just unfortunate because I feel like you get so much more out of dialogue and conversation in the booth so that you can play off of each other and, and get to understand your characters a little better. And I think in Monsters, Inc., it may have sh- stood out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much it affects it because I know I heard heard uh, Brad Bird talking about, like, in reference to Incredibles 2, how most of that movie was done, you know, the actors separately or whatever and then I remember back from Clone Wars and even like Star Wars Rebels them talking about how like they made it a point to get all the actors in the room at one time to do all their scenes and that was a big deal because that doesn't happen a whole lot so I don't know how prevalent it is I don't know how much it affects the performances or whatever but it's got to help and I think it it does help I think some scenes you'd have to do that just just for the subject matter and you know I mean, a lot of this movie revolves around, you know, Sully and Mike, you know, doing these really crazy scenes, and you have to rely on them to be in the same room. Yeah. Yep, I agree. And speaking of the two of them, going back to the warehouse scene, I found a piece of trivia online that was really, really interesting, because when you when you make it through that little hallway and and you see the big cavern of doors and there's just racks upon racks upon racks of doors you're just sitting there going how many of them could there possibly be because they go through what seems like endless countless doors splitting turning up and down on different tracks and different directions yeah. and uh it's i i read something that said they used 
different combinations of 26 paint colors, 12 different styles, 8 wood colors, 10 different decals, 6 different doorknobs, and 3 different hardware types. So I'm assuming that's the frame that goes around the door. So you take the 26 paint colors, 12 styles, 8 wood colors, 10 decals, 6 doorknobs, and 3 hardware types, and you do a giant mix and match with those different color combinations, you end up with a maximum of 449,280 possible door possibilities. Wow, that is amazing. And can you just imagine how much time and effort that must have taken in order to come up with all of that? That's incredible and very clever to come up with the separate components and then put them together and mishmash them together. Um, and it, you, yep. it really is awe-inspiring, like that, like that final scene with the, with the doors. And just the doors in general, like, it's so, it's such a fascinating concept and it's such a unique concept to, oh, it's monsters going into people's houses and the doors are the portals and you can move a door or whatever. And then taking that concept and they use it to the absolute fullest with them writing on the doors and then their, you know, Boo activates them all with her laughs, so... They're now just going through and, you know, the doors are opening and closing and they're going to different, you know, realms and whatever. It's crazy. Uh, It's a brilliant scene. Speaking of going between realms, have you heard the theory that there is another type of crossover happening between Monsters, Inc. and another Pixar movie? Well, there is the Pixar theory, but I'm a... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the big that's the big overarching theory, but there's this new theory going around thanks to this summer's release of Incredibles 2. Uh, maybe it's something that they came up with after the fact to try and account for whatever it was that showed up in Monsters, Inc. Yeah. But... There's there's this fan theory going around that because he's able to jump between dimensions, like that's part of his powers, there are some that believe that Jack-Jack found his way into the monster world while he's jumping between dimensions. That maybe the monster dimension is one of the dimensions that he can jump into and jump back out of. Yeah. So the the reason for this being is during the Harryhausen scene when Boo first reveals herself to the monster world there's a whole bunch of man on the street interviews talking to people who claim to have seen the kid. And the descriptions that they give are not very accurate descriptions of Boo. But they are rather descriptive of another kid and what they are capable of doing. <laughs> so listen to this. There's there's one monster that's got, like, no head and arms coming out of its jaw, almost. And he says, well, a kid flew right over me and blasted a car with its laser vision. <laughs> That's probably the most damning evidence. Yeah, but then like... there's another one who's more like a, a slug creature with multiple eyes, and he says, I tried to run away from it, but he picked me up with his mind powers and shook me like a doll. Wow. So it's 
he picked me up with his mind powers. Let, let... So one eyewitness, one eyewitness saw a kid blasting a car with laser vision, and another one apparently saw a young boy with mind powers that could shake him like a doll. Now, now mind you, Monsters, Inc. came out in 2001. The original yep. Incredibles movie came out in 2004. Right. So either this was an intense amount, and, and of course Incredibles 2, which is where Jack-Jack features most prominently, came out this year, which is great right. many years later, almost, almost going on 20 years now. So like... You know, either this theory, this is like grasping at straws, or or Pixar made a huge amount of uh, of uh, of connections here to make this happen. Um, and who knows? I mean, realistically, it could have been that maybe Incredibles was in development. They're like, hey, let's just do this, or maybe it's just a sheer coincidence. That's probably the case. But I do love that. And you know, just in the context of this universe, like you have monsters going from their universe to the human world well jack jack could and you could jack jack could pass through those dimensions and you know pixar theory aside all of the pixar films would be parallel universes so and in theory jack jack could visit all of them so maybe in the future we'll just see jack jack easter eggs all over the place in all the pixar films Dude, that would be really funny. That would be great. That would that would be like that, that would be really really interesting to see if they could try and pull that off. See, my theory is they when when they originally made Monsters Inc back in 2001, I think these people were just bearing false witness. You know, right. for the context of keeping it within the monster universe, it just seemed like they were exaggerating for the sake of ending up on TV, you know. But now that we've actually got a character that is, A, capable of jumping through dimensions, and B, capable of blasting something with laser vision, it just now seems that much more plausible that, who knows, maybe he did make it through. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I certainly don't. But it's fun to speculate. Indeed it is. While we're on the topic of Pixar characters, I guess now is an appropriate time to just talk about our favorite character from Monsters, Inc., who have you got, Ben? Oh man, oh man, this is this is hard because there really is. I mean, there's so many, and there's so many interesting characters. Like, there's not like you know, even the background characters have their own thing and have their own like personalities of like that. Um, I'm gonna take Sully. I'm gonna take Sully. I know it's a big one. I know it's kind of an obvious one, but I'm gonna be obvious really quick. I think. He's just, he is this, you know, this big dude who is on the top of his game and he's, you know, and has a lot of comedy with Mike, but also just has this deep connection with Boo and is so heartwarming. And, you know, you get a lot of laughs with that character, but also get a lot of tears. Yeah, yeah, especially at the end when he's going over the, the data of now it being a, a, a laugh factory instead of a scare factory, and he's in charge of it. He's the big boss man. He's happy seeing everybody else happy. 
but then he flips to the very last page and it's that little chip of wood that was all that was apparently left that he could remember Boo by. Right. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he keeps that memento everywhere he goes. My heart, she is breaking. Ah. And then and then when he scares the robot kid and she's there and then she and scares Boo too. Yep. And then he's horrified that he scared her and she won't go to him. It's just oh my god. Just just kill me. It's it's too much all the feels. Well, and what's interesting is earlier in the film she had expressed fear of something coming out of his closet while she was trying to sleep in his room. Right. And he didn't really he didn't really get it because he's never been on that side of the room. You know, he's never really been on the side where the monster comes through and does the scaring. He's on the other side just doing his job. He doesn't realize how traumatized the kids can be and how restless they can be because they're staying up late wondering if the monster's going to come scare Yeah, them. it's funny how through and Boo he kind of like gets a new perspective on like what they do. It's like it's all about right. their like getting their powers like that. It's an economic thing for them, but then Sully's like like now I understand like we're we're doing like like mental damage to these kids by going into their houses and scaring them to death. Well, yeah, like when he gets to the Himalayas, he's just sitting in the entrance of the cave muttering to himself. And he says something to the effect of, did you see how she looked at me? Like he's processing what he did through her eyes and realizing just how horribly scarring it can be. And I'm not saying I was ever horribly scarred. I don't think I ever got scared enough of somebody like Sully to have anything like that happen to me. Honestly, if I if I had to pick like the most intimidating monster, the most intimidating monster related sequence, it would actually be Mr. Flem from the very beginning of the of the movie where he's got the the octopus tentacles that look like uh that look like sleeves and then he's like going under the bed and then his like tentacles come out and then claws come out from the tentacles like until he slipped and got a butt full of jacks. He was actually kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't my favorite character. Not by a long shot. You want to know who my favorite character I'm was? I'm dying to know. I, I I really love Mike. And I kind of want to like pick Mike because you picked Sully. Yeah. <laughs> Just for the sake of like going with the tandem. But if I, if I had to pick a favorite character it would be the surprise character the one that i really wasn't expecting to get anything from and then at the very end i'm like oh wow oh wow and that character would be the lovely Roz. oh yeah i love that that Roz is such a pain in the butt to mike like he tries and tries and tries so hard but then you know, she just kind of shows up at the most inopportune times and reminds him of the most inopportune things like paperwork. And then all throughout the time when the CDA has taken over Monsters, Inc., they keep saying, number one, once this place does it for prints, number one, wants a report on this. You, you see somebody saying, you know, careful, we're going to have to tell number one about this, whatever. 
throughout the whole movie, you keep hearing about number one, number one, number one. And you're like, who is number one? Why are they so important? And then they, at the very, very end of the movie, they say, stay where you are. Number one wants to talk to you. <laughs> and you're like, ooh, ooh, goody, we actually get to see number one. And then they open the door and Roz slithers in and they both just sit there going, Roz? The one you it's least expect. A great, it's a great, great surprise and a great plot twist and adds a lot of depth to the character because all of a sudden she's gone from being a secretary to being the leader of the child detection agency. Like, almost in an instant. And it's just, like, totally awesome. So, yeah, I mean, the the pain that she that psychologically and physically inflicts upon Mike... And the plot twist at the very end and the little jab that she gets where she's like, none of this ever happened, gentlemen. <laughs> and I don't want to see any paperwork on this. Love it. Like, this whole time she's been making fun of Mike's paperwork and then she's like, okay, this time, don't. Don't do any paperwork. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Boo. I love Mike. I love Sully. I like how intimidating Waternoose can be. I like Randall's camouflage abilities. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of an ensemble cast, and that's part of what makes it so fun is everybody's got a role to play. Everybody's got some component that makes them important. And when you've only got 93 minutes to work with, everybody has to do what they said they were going to do. Every everybody had a role to play, even George Sanderson. Poor, poor, poor George Sanderson. He started out with a thick, beautiful coat of orange and yellow fur, and by the time we got done with them, he looked like a naked mole rat had had sex with a unicorn. Yeah, I love the I love like one of his last scenes is like we we got a we got a twenty what is it the tw- uh. uh Twenty three nineteen, and he he, 20, he just grabs him. He just grabs him, like throws him, like no, you're not doing this to me again. So they call it a twenty three nineteen because it's like some sort of code that stands for like child contamination or something like that. But have you ever gotten like the little entendre behind a twenty three nineteen? I don't think I have. Like the the hidden message behind it. I don't. Think... So. Somebody somebody figure this out. I didn't figure it out on my own, but prepare to have your mind blown anyway. Uh, when George comes out of the closet, if you will. Gosh, that's such a bad pun, and I wasn't even trying to do terrible. it. When, when he comes through the door and he's got the 2319, when he's got the child's you know, contaminant on him, if you look closely at it, it's a white sock. It's a, it's a child's sock. And 23, the 23rd letter of the alphabet is W. The 19th letter of the alphabet is S. The translation into, like, letter acronyms is literally W-S, which stands for White Sock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. We literally have a 2319. And to be completely candid, I actually really love this number because I see it a lot in sports. 
Uh, it's a it's a very prominent, very popular number in volleyball, which is starting up for my school in just a couple of weeks now. And I'm looking forward to taking pictures of the volleyball scoreboard when it shows 2319, because then I'll be able to use the caption, only Monsters, Inc. fans will recognize this. I love it. I love it. That's funny. There's a lot of stuff that's funny about this movie, dude, but I I can't pick like just one moment. But I know that if my brother could, he would probably pick the the garbage scene where Sully thinks Boo has been sent into the trash compactor. <laughs> that's great. And you've got like the machine that's like pounding it, the one that's smushing it, the one that's flattening it, the one that's like cutting it up into cubes. And every time he looks at the next part of the conveyor belt, he just falls over and faints. I don't know what it is about that sequence or what it is about the facial expressions that they got on Sully or if it's the, the music or if it's just a combination of the situation, music, face, character, whatever. My brother belly laughs at that scene on a regular basis without fail every single time that scene comes on you can bet it's going to have him in absolute stitches and honestly i enjoy watching him laugh at it as much as i enjoy watching that sequence that's how funny he that's finds great. it great i love it and that's a that that's I mean I, it is a funny scene. Like he's not exaggerating. Like it it is it is so like you know like thing and the fact that he comes out of there and he's carrying the 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 box of garbage like yes. he's so distraught. Yes, and then Mike Mike is just sitting there looking at him like Sully. That's a cube of garbage, and he's like hugging and he's going. I can still hear her voice. And then she's walking with the daycare kids just down the hall, and then she says, Mike Wazowski! And all of a sudden, Mike's like, oh, wait, wait a second, I can hear her too. Mike Wazowski! How many kids you got in there? Mike Wazowski! Mike Wazowski! I I love that scene, because for a split second, I think Mike believes that she's in there squished trying to get out, and there's other kids that are squished in there too. Because he just, like, seriously investigates the cube. He doesn't look around for other voices. Like, once you hear, like, a second or third voice, I start thinking, maybe I'm hearing this from somewhere else. But rather than turn around, he, like, turns in and starts looking at the cube. And he's like, wait a second, how many kids you got in there? As if, as if Sully put them there. Like, it's just so silly. It's so zany. And it's, it's why... It's number two on my top five Pixar. That's I, that's I went true. back and looked at my rankings. I went back and I looked at my rankings, and I feel like I am totally justified with this decision. I really, really love the other movies that are in there as well. I mean, we ranked Finding Nemo last week, and I've actually got it on par with my honorable mention, uh, which I believe is Wally. Uh, I really love Coco. I really love Toy Story, but watching this movie again reminded me all over again, just how much I love visiting the monster universe. This is a fantastic, fantastic, super creative, well-written, well-voice-acted. It's got a great plot that's fun and enjoyable and, and is accessible to kids and adults alike. It's another one of those Pixar home runs that just touches on everything that it needs to touch on. Yeah, I, I know 
I know Monsters Universe. Yon Monsters University, not Monsters Universe. What am I saying? I know that movie exists. I know apparently most of our listeners did not like that one for whatever reason. Um, and I'm looking forward to watching it after watching this one. But I would also love to see a proper sequel to this movie. I feel like there's so much to be done with this little universe. Um, I'd really love to see them like return to these characters at some point. I'm really torn because I, in in one vein I agree with you, and in another vein I'm like, heck no. I know. Because I know. we got the return to the monster universe, and they decided to do a prequel on us, and... I, I don't I don't know, man. Like I think the creative team is such that we don't need to always return to another like one of our original universes in order for it to be a good movie. I think Coco proved that. Yeah. You know, we'd never been to the I to, to to the the land of the dead before, and yet Coco was a very very well made movie. I would like to see them continue to, you know, try new territories, try new worlds, try new characters, new universes. As much as I love Mike and Sully, I kind of want to go on other adventures too. Yet at the same time, if they told us tomorrow that, you know, Monsters, Inc. 2 that shows the laugh floor and, you know, whatever else, like a a return visit for an older boo or something... I'd be one of the first people in line, you yeah. know. Yeah, I I would still I would still want to watch the heck out of it. Which, by the way, speaking of being in line, I recently found out that in the month of September there are going to be uh, a select 500 theaters nationwide that are going to be celebrating Jurassic Park's 25th anniversary with a screening in the in the big screen. I heard about this. Yeah. And it's being hosted by Fathom Events. You can buy your tickets on adamtickets.com, I believe. Just a, a little shameless plug that I'm just throwing in there. I am totally buying some of those tickets to watch it on the big screen. I remember when the 20th anniversary came out about five years ago, I went and saw that as well in 3D at my local theater, and it was breathtaking. Any opportunity I'm going to get to see Jurassic Park on the big screen again... I'm going to try and take it. Oh, totally. Just saying. Totally. I mean, you don't, like, it's almost a once-in-a-lifetime thing to see a movie like that on the big screen. Um, I didn't get to see it in 93 because I wasn't born yet. Yeah, and I was, <laughs> I was, I was one year old. So, no, I, yeah. you know, even if my parents had not gotten a babysitter and just dragged me to the theater, like, I probably wouldn't have remembered it. So, uh, you know, yeah, I would. You wouldn't have enjoyed yourself. Yeah. I'm sure I would, but so now I get to enjoy myself by by doing it now. Yeah. So I I will most likely be doing that sometime in the month of September. I just haven't narrowed down the yeah. day yet. And they're doing this. Uh, but what I have really quick, I'll just huh? mention they're doing this a lot because I believe they're putting all of the MCU movies back in theaters too at some point in the near future. I did see that, but wasn't it what is it is it something that they're doing right now, or is it something they're doing closer to? The Avengers 4. I couldn't tell you. I 
should be able to tell you, but I, I can't. I don't. I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't do my research before the show, and I'm too tired to no, do a Google no, search. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> I, look, just either, Google either it, way, people listening, because it's a thing. Either way, it still sounds really, really fun. I, I, I saw that same lineup, and you know they, they're going to show Iron Man like two or three times. They're going to show the Guardians of the Galaxy two or three times. They're going to show Civil War a couple of times. Like, you don't have to marathon all of them all the way through if you don't want to. You can kind of pick and choose which ones you want to come and on which day and that sort of thing. Uh, my thing is, I've got all the movies now. I I just recently bought uh, Infinity War. Yeah. So I've literally got all the movies on disc. If I want to watch them, I can just binge them at my house. That is true. <laughs> but your screen isn't quite as big. Isn't quite as big. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. One day. It's One it's day. a lot bigger than some people give me credit for. And I am still talking about my TV. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to the movie since we are we are officially <laughs> officially derailed. It's getting late, guys. <laughs> wow. Oh, you have no idea. You people have no idea how late it no, is. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> Not even going to go there. Well, let's go to the planet scores yeah. then. Uh, I had to kind of do this uh, based on a curve almost, looking at you know where I placed The Incredibles when I ranked it, based on where I rank Monsters, Inc. in my top five Pixar, what kind of a rating I would give to Toy Story 3, etc., etc. My planet score for Monsters, Inc. right now is a 9.4 out of 10. I had Finding Nemo ranked at a 9.0. That is on par with another movie that I'm not going to mention but, you know, that 9 to 9.4 range is kind of in flux for me right now because going back and thinking about Finding Nemo, I enjoyed that one about as much as I enjoyed rewatching Monsters, Inc., you know? So yeah. I know I have to kind of rate it on a curve based on, you know, rankings and previous discussions, but I really enjoyed both of these movies. I did as well. I did as well, and it makes it hard because it's it's hard enough to rank to just give a movie a score especially one that you really really enjoyed because you want to automatically give it a 10 out of 10 like I did last week for Finding Nemo but then you start like okay I give that one a 10 out of 10 but what do I give this one but I enjoyed it almost as much it, it, it just the politics yep. in your brain just just it will drive you insane and that's where I'm at right now um I'm actually going to give I'm going to almost match you i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give it one more fraction of a point i'm gonna give it a 9.5 out of 10 this movie i think this whole movie's underrated to be honest like it and i i use underrated loosely because i feel like everyone loves and everyone's seen this movie but at the same time like it is it feels like an outlier in the pixar one when you have giants like Toy Story and Finding Nemo, and now you have Coco and all these other great movies. Monsters, Inc., I feel like kind of has been forgotten, and I don't want that to be the case because this movie is absolutely outstanding. It's one of the best Pixar films that they've produced, and they deserve all the credit for it. They absolutely do. I mean, it's got that high rewatchability factor. Absolutely does. You know, obviously... It, it it obviously does because it's 17 years later and here we are on the IPC podcast talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? 
like that's the kind of rewatchability factor it's got that it ranked really really high in people's top five Pixar movies high enough for us to talk about it and we're obviously ranking it high enough that it's like in our top fives of our favorite Pixar movies that it's enough for us to get on the show and talk about it say we watched it Mm -hmm. recently like it's not one of those ones where you kind of have to be in a mood in order to watch it. Like, I kind of have to be in the mood for Ratatouille. I kind of have to be in the mood for, um, what what's one of the other ones? Bugs yeah. Life. Bugs Life is a good movie. It's a cute movie. And you see the trailer from Bugs Life in Monsters, Inc. That's the, that's the door that Randall gets transported to. He ends up in a trailer, and he gets beat up because the two people living in it think that it's a gator when it's Randall. That. I love that. Was, that was funny. That was funny. Especially, that was a hilarious especially, scene. Not a gator! Especially as someone who, uh, you know, lives probably as a crow flies, not too far from a place just like that. <laughs> from people just yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. But isn't it fun to uh, imagine... That maybe while Randall's getting beat up in the trailer above everything, in the insect city down beneath, you've got a uh, you got a feisty little ant that's trying to recruit some warriors to come save his colony. It's very possible that Pixar theory just keeps on rolling. It does. It really does. It, it writes may itself entirely. Be all connected. I mean, there there's some things that may be something we'll have to talk about on another episode. But there are some pretty legitimate claims that make me think that there's a lot of these things that are pretty pretty interwoven, pretty well connected. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But we're not we're not going to be talking about that tonight, unfortunately. What we are going to be talking about is one of our favorite quotable sequences from Monsters Inc. Now, last week we tried to quote a scene from Finding Nemo. And I probably could try and quote a scene from Monsters, Inc., but I'm not going to. Because, honestly, I feel like this scene should not be repeated by anyone but Billy Crystal. Yes, you're right. Just just putting that out there. Because this sequence is so zany and wacky and hilarious, and they're both so bought in on it. And everybody gives them such strange glances. Even in that moment where you see a a, a walking green blob and a giant kitty cat, for a brief moment, they're humanized enough where you can think, oh my gosh, I'm that awkward. That could totally be me. It is great. And that's one of the great things about the Pixar creators is how easily they can humanize their monstrosity creatures. So without further ado, I'm going to stop talking and bring in Malky Kowski himself to uh, tell our furry friend to put that thing back where it came from. Take care of yourself. Try not to run through any more closets. <laughs> Mike, that's not her door. What are you talking about? Of course it's her door. It's her door. No, her door was white. No. And it had flowers on it. No. It must have been dark last night because this is its door. Hey, you hear that? Sounds like fun in there. Okay, send me a postcard, kid. That's Mike Wazowski, care of 22. Mike Wazowski, you got your life back lane. Wazowski. Very good. Now, bon voyage. Bye-bye. Come on. Look at the stick. See the stick? Go. Get the stick. Go, fetch. Mike, this isn't Boo's door. Boo? What's Boo? That's 
what I decided to call her. Is there a problem? Sorry, you're not supposed to name it. Once you name it, you start getting attached to it. Now put that thing back where it came from, or so help me! Oh, hi! We're rehearsing uh, a scene for the upcoming company play called, uh, Put That Thing Back Where It Came From, or So Help Me. <laughs> it's a musical. Yeah, put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. So help me, so help me, and cut. <laughs> We're still working on it. It's a work in progress, but hey, we need ushers. I love that, I love that on top of Mike doing that, you have Sully in the background providing the beatboxing for it. Boom, 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 and he's he he's boom, playing boom, along. Boom, 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 I would, I hope. Going back to our points earlier, I hope, and I'm just going to assume that that was an improv by um, Goodman to to do that with 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 the to do crystal. the little boom, 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 boom. Well, yeah, because when you when you watch the end credits, they do a different one, and he's kind of got that boom, boom thing going on, but. Uh, Billy Crystal sings different lyrics. So I think they did multiple takes with that scene with the two of them together. Yeah, that makes sense. Because in the in the in the end credits when they're when they're pitching it, he says something to the effect of put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Get that thing away from me, you guys. Put that thing back where it came from or I'll poke myself in the eye. <laughs> so I think I think based on that they must have done multiple takes, and that was like one of the other ones that they did, and they just wanted to use it somewhere, even though they couldn't use it in the final cut of the film. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's it's, it's just again, the brilliance of this movie going flip flopping things of monsters treating humans like animals, like don't touch it, it thing you can't name it, you're, you're gonna keep it. This is not right. Once you name it, you're gonna get attached to it. Now put that thing away. It's great. It's so great. It's so funny. It is so so funny. I I kind of want to go back and like watch the movie again just because I'm so inspired by our conversation. Yeah. But uh, it's a little it's a little too late for that tonight, anyways. But it is not too late to give a special thank you to the people that help keep the lights on for us. Yep. And that would be our patrons. The likes of Joey Mays, who you heard during our commercial break talking about IPC. Uh, our friend Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, and Dan Grievous are all very generous supporters of the show. They help take care of our Podbean subscription so we can keep getting things uploaded in a timely manner. They are vision casters with us to help figure out what we can do next for the show. Uh, they have been talking to us about what 2019 is going to look like. We're only in August right now, folks, and we've already got the rest of the year pretty much planned out, and we're already talking about what things we're going to be talking about in 2019. And they're on the front lines with that, helping us out with that too. So it's a really, really exciting time to be a peacekeeper. And if you want to join that group, if you want to be a part of that, then just go find us at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast, get signed up today. The largest commitment there is on there is only $5 a month, and you get a ton of awesome, exclusive access and deals that you can be a part of for just a few bucks a month. So go check that out. Become like one of these awesome patrons and get a shout-out on the show as a benefit. Heck yeah. You can't go wrong. Why? Why? What are you waiting for? You really can't. You, you 
really can't. You really can't. There, there, there is no lose in this situation because you, uh, you, you help a really cool podcast. You help some really cool guys. None of that money goes into our pockets. It goes right back into the show. We use some of that money to pay for the music for our new intro. Like the money goes places to be productive for the podcast. That's all it's for. Yeah. And so when you contribute, you're contributing directly to the show, not directly to us. So making this thank show you to bug. the ones who are supporting. And if you want to support, yeah. Yep, if you do want to show your support, the link is patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. Indeed, indeed. You can also find the IPC podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC podcast. You can also find us personally at Zach underscore DFW and Ben Hart with no E. We're both on Twitter and Instagram. Ben's also on Facebook, probably a lot more than I am. Just spell it out phonetically, Ben Hart with no E. Uh, I just accepted a job covering high school football in my area, so I don't know if you want to follow me right now because you may be getting high school football updates for teams that you have no clue who they are. But go follow me anyway if you want to be surprised and if you want to talk geek and nerd and stuff. Uh, The best place to do it, though, is honestly the Peacekeeper Corps. That's where a lot of those kinds of nerdy conversations happen. So go find Mm -hmm. us there. You can also listen to our program on demand at iTunes, Google Play, Uh, And you can find episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com, which is also your exclusive source for rumors, breaking news, release dates, casting announcements, and any other tidbits of information from the galaxy far, far away. Yes, sir. Am I missing anything? I don't. I think think you hit it all. I think think you done good. Nope. I did. I I did miss something. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. I, I missed the most important part of the evening. Oh my god. Or at least I almost did. Oh my goodness. How we, we really are tired. How dare I? I've committed I've committed blasphemy against the gods. How dare I? I should be smite with lightning or slow cooked on a spit. I Robin Glader would have killed you. But uh, uh, mm, yeesh. No. I don't even want to think about that. <clears throat> Never gonna let that go. Gives me chills gives me chills but uh we've actually got a pretty fun segment on tap for tonight so ladies and gentlemen if you are listening live then get out your hashtags and put them in the chat put them on facebook twitter and instagram uh if you're not listening live go ahead and put it on social media because we do check it from time to time but for this time i do believe it is time one more time i keep saying time 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 Oh, look at the time. It is time. It is time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Watch. Okay, well, for tonight's barbecue segment, we actually dive back into the monster world for a little bit. Uh, There is a sushi restaurant that we mentioned just a little bit uh, here and there over the course of the evening. A place called Harryhausen's. And 
One thing that uh, that happens whenever anybody comes into Harryhausen's, apparently it's so exclusive that you have to get a reservation like a long, long time in advance. And uh, it's so popular that whenever somebody comes in to take a seat, it means somebody else has to leave. But nobody wants to leave. So it's kind of become this tradition that whenever somebody walks in, all the patrons that are currently sitting down yell at them, Get a paper bag! Basically saying, if you're going to be here, then get takeout, because we ain't leaving. <laughs> and so my, my question then is kind of twofold, if you will. Uh, the first one would be, should they add a, a barbecue element to this sushi restaurant and make it even better? Or, you know, if barbecue was to be put in a paper bag what would actually sit in the paper bag without making the bag melt before you get home you know it's kind of it's kind of a twofold question like should they have barbecue if so what kind that actually would fit into a paper bag and wouldn't dissolve the paper bag while they're trying to take it home very good questions very good questions i i don't know like you cuz sushi is kind of this uncooked fish thing I've I've admittedly never eaten sushi so I I don't know the whole process there but like I it's been a while so what like would barbecue sushi but be like uncooked well I don't know if I, I don't know if I necessarily mean like exactly barbecue sushi so much as I mean like adding a barbecue element something mongolian barbecued maybe something exotic kind of kind of it's it's kind of got that mongolian open grill feel to it kind of like those like those uh those artists who prepare the food on the hot plate right in front of you while you're sitting at the bar watching them cook it for you yeah i feel like they probably do something similar to that with sushi and maybe they could integrate that with some barbecue meat like some chicken brisket pulled pork if i'm remembering correctly i'm pretty sure there i'm pretty sure there's like a hibachi grill thing going on like when they there's a panning shot and they start there and they move over to mike I think there's like a grill, there's like a you know Japanese grill guy doing that. So, like, I, th- I think so too. I think so too. And that's kind of what got me wondering is, you know, do they have something similar to that already, to where it's like a pretty easy transition to inclu- include like a barbecue element, and then the follow up would be if they did include that on the hibachi or on whatever kind of prep system, whatever kind of prep station they've got. If their tradition is get a paper bag, what could somebody get a paper bag of barbecue of from an establishment like Harryhausen's? Well, I think a sandwich would fit in a paper bag. I mean, it depends on how big the paper bag is, though. You could get a you could get a giant. Depends how big the bag, bag is. Depends how big the sandwich is. Depends how sloppy the sandwich is. No. Like if it's slathered in like like if the if the bun is heavily buttered. If there's a whole lot of sauce that's dripping out from it, if there's a lot of grease coming off of the meat, a lot of grease and fat coming off of the meat, it's going to make the the bottom of the bag really sloppy. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy a, a sloppy bag like that. I enjoy a sloppy sandwich like that. But, 
you know, not every monster is exactly the same, so maybe one of them wouldn't be able to hold something like that very well. Maybe one of them wouldn't be interested in it that much. And this isn't exactly a barbecue-related question, but I can't help but wonder if we were cast in the monster universe, what kind of monsters do you think we'd look like, Ben? That's a tough question out of nowhere. I know, it's kind of <laughs> off topic. It's I know, it's kind of off topic, but I keep thinking about all of the different types of creatures that are sitting down at Harryhausen's, the different types of monsters that are all at this one place for, for one really good meal, and no two of them look exactly alike. I would like to think that I'd probably be on the avian side of things, maybe some sort of creature with like majestic feathers and plumes to him of some kind. But at the same time, I've got a little bit of like a edgy side, not necessarily a dark side, but kind of edgy. So maybe it would be like, like grays and blacks almost, but the glossy kind that still stands out a little bit. I think I would just be myself. I think I'm just, I'm I'm enough of a monster. No, that's, that's a cop out for one thing, and for another thing, you look nothing like a monster. So <laughs> there, I just gave you a compliment and an insult at the same well, time. I'm like, that's a stupid idea because you don't look like a monster. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate backhanded compliments too. Um, uh, I'm, I'm gonna. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I like. I'm going back to something. Just struck me. Is I wonder if some of the weird looking like superheroes in Incredibles 2 or from the Monsters universe, like the owl dude. The owl dude, maybe? Reflux. um, Reflux, yes. That's what I'm thinking. Like, what if Jack-Jack brought them over from a parallel dimension or something? I want his powers. That's... that's... Oh, it could all very well be connected. Uh, All a very lively discussion, and we're looking forward to continuing those types of lively discussions here on the IPC podcast. Next week, we review another Pixar movie for you guys, rounding out the Pixar for the time being. But if there's other Pixar movies that you want to hear us talk about, by all means, write us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, and let us know. Because, Ben, I, I don't, I don't want to speak for you necessarily, but judging on how these past two episodes have gone... I'm going to be kind of sad when the Pixar finishes up next week. I'm going to be super sad because this has been a lot of fun. I love Pixar. I love these movies. And, you know, it's been really, it's been a lot of fun revisiting some of them and also getting into at least one that I have never seen before. So uh, I'm looking a lot forward to that one. And then, you know, just going back to Finding Nemo, both of these films are just phenomenal. There's there's a reason you guys picked them, and it's very clear yep. once you watch these movies that they are some of the best movies ever. They really are, and we get to talk about one of those best movies. Uh, Toy Story and Incredibles got the most votes. We've already talked about those movies. This one that we're talking about next week received the third most amount of votes among all of your votes that were cast during our top five Pixar movies episode a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It's probably been more more like a couple of months by now, but you get the picture. The votes that you cast help decide what we're doing here on the program. We are by the fans, for the fans. Yes, I'm borrowing that from our partners at the SWU because I just like that slogan. But I like our slogan as well. All the galaxies, 
all for you. That includes the Pixar galaxy. Indeed. Well, next week, more Pixar, more fun, more awesome discussions. But I think that's going to round out the discussion for tonight's episode covering Monsters, Inc. I'm going to call it. Episode 202 is now officially in the books. Thank you all for sticking with us through this uh, this very, very enjoyable episode. We hope you enjoyed it as well. And uh, we're looking forward to talking about Wally next week. But until then, for Ben, I'm Zach. And I'm just going to leave you for the evening with this thought. The challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. And we hope that you'll join us next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. Or so help me! <laughs> <laughs>